As Paul said at the start of our service today, it's lovely to see you, particularly if you're visiting and um, perhaps not used to our style of worship or um, is this slightly strange to you? You're, you're still very welcome. I am Jeff and I'm the senior minister at the church and I'm going to be opening the Bible with you this morning and talking to you um, about our values as a church. This um, few weeks we're looking at our vision and values and what, what we value and what we aspire to as um, the Plymouth Christian Centre. And um, I, are you any good at jigsaw puzzles? Are you a jigsaw fan? I'm not very good at jigsaws. And um, I have a very simple jigsaw puzzle here. And last week we, we started and our series um, when we talk about values, we talk about how we do things around here. Um, what is it, what kind of determines the way we do things? And it has been said that values have vision for breakfast, <laughs> that, the, that your values always win out. So last week we talked about the fact that we wanted to be um, a Jesus-centered church. And we read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and um, we talked about the fact that we are called to be, first and foremost, as individuals, as human beings, we are called, first and foremost, to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth back in the day, um, said in verse 9 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, said that you were called to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we talked about the fact that it all starts and ends with a relationship with Jesus. We're not called to be religious. We're not called to go to church or to be good people or to be moral people in that sense. But we are called, first and foremost, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we talked about last week, that we want to be a Jesus-centered church. We're also called, Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, we're called to be his representatives, to represent Christ. And as a church, as Plymouth Christian Center, who seek to love and serve people, enabling them to become wholehearted followers of Jesus, that is our calling. And Paul starts his letter by saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I was sent by him. He changed my life. And I now am giving my life to represent him. The word that Paul often uses in his letters is, to be his ambassador. I want to be an ambassador of Jesus. So we talked about the fact that we're called into a relationship with Jesus. We're called to be his representatives. But God doesn't leave us alone. He gives us his resources. And what Paul said as he wrote to them, he said, when I came to you, it's not that I had wise and persuasive words with my preaching. I, I couldn't match kind of the rhetoric of, of certain people. or I wasn't trying to. But what I did come with was a demonstration of the power of God. I preached Christ, and I preached him crucified. So we want to be a Jesus-centered church. And this morning, I want to talk about our next value, if, if my puzzle fits, of my jigsaw, is that we want to be a Bible-based church. We want to be Jesus-centered, and we want to be Bible-based. And specifically, we want to be a church that has strong biblical roots and that teaches the Bible faithfully, consistently, creatively, and in a culturally relevant way. I want to read to you again the passage from 1 Corinthians. And if you have a Bible, you can follow 
the reading with me, and if you've got it on the tablet or on your phone or a good old paper copy, then that's what we're going to read this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it is slightly longer, but that's good. It's, it's good to kind of read the Bible, and uh, I'm going to come forward here and read this for you. Now, last week um, when I read this, we were focusing on what we are called to be, and we're called into relationship with Jesus, we're called to be his representatives, we're called and we're given his resources. So as I read this passage again this morning, I want you to listen out for the word called, okay? But there's another word that I want you to listen out for this morning that comes throughout this passage, or two words. The first word is wisdom, and the second word is power. And Paul is talking about the wisdom of this world and the power structures of this world. And I want you to listen as I read this passage and to look out for those words and those themes. Wisdom and power. So let's read it together. Paul called, there's a word, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. And then Paul addresses divisions in the church, and he says that some of you say you follow Paul, and others follow Apollos, and some follow Cephas, Peter, and others follow Christ. But it was none of these died for you. None of these was crucified for you. And we need to follow Christ. And then we'll pick up at verse 17. For Christ did not send me, the Apostle Paul is writing, to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose 
the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He goes on into chapter 2, and we might pick up a couple of verses from there as well as we go on. You know, everybody has a world view, a view of the world. And it is perhaps like putting on a pair of glasses in, in, how, you, in how you see the world. Everybody has a worldview. And I was watching an interview on the television recently, and it was a debate, and Polly Toynbee was on there from the Guardian newspaper and a, and a, and a Conservative MP and a, and a Labour MP. I think the Conservative MP was a Christian. And Polly Toynbee, who's a, is a known secularist and atheist and, and columnist for the Guardian, was challenging this Christian MP, saying, you should keep your Christianity out of the public space. It's your private religion. You should keep it to yourself and it shouldn't be influencing your policies. And this MP, to his credit, robustly uh, defended his position and said, you also have a belief system, Polly Toynbee. You also have a worldview that you also promulgate, that you also put forward, that you write about in your columns. You have a belief system. You have a worldview. And it is wrong and it is impossible for Christians to privatize their faith and to keep it out of the public sphere because this is the way that we view the world. And it gets to the fundamentals of who we are. So if you are a a secularist or a humanist, a naturalist, you will believe that you are basically, as a human being, a collection of chemical cells. You're made up primarily, 96% of you, is made up of four constituents, four elements of oxygen and and carbon and hydrogen and nitrogen. And um, with a lot of that in the form of, of water. So you are basically a collection of cells, a collection of chemical uh, constituents. And if your worldview is that there is no God and there is no divine creator and there is no life beyond death, then that will directly affect the way that you live your life, that your belief systems, your morals, your relationships, and the, way, and the way that you exist on this earth. If you are a Christian, if you're a Christ follower who believes in the teaching of the Bible and the biblical worldview, you believe that you were made by a creator, by a divine being, a divine intelligence. And you believe that you were made to be in relationship with God. And you believe that you were made in the image of God because the Bible says in the beginning God created and he created mankind and he created them male and he created them female and he created them in the image of God. So if you look at me this morning and I look at you and I have a biblical worldview, I believe that you carry within you the dignity of God. You carry within you the image of God. You are a carrier of the image of God. Now, that is a very different view to someone who is basically a collection of atoms and some chemical uh, constituents of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. And that's just one example, but our worldview affects everything. It affects what we think, and it affects what we feel, which affects how we act. And so it is important that we have, in that sense, 
a biblical worldview, which is what we're talking about when we say that we want to be a Bible-based church, that we want to be a people that get their view of the world, their worldview from the biblical teaching of why we're here, why we exist, how we are to relate to God and to one another. We believe that we were made for eternity. We believe that we were made for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. I was listening to a speaker this week at a conference who was talking about the driving factors of the wisdom of our world at the moment. Now, if you read this passage as we just did from 1 Corinthians, you see Paul's expression of the wisdom of this world. If I highlight some of those phrases for you, in, in chapter 1, verse 17, Paul speaks of, he says, when we came to you, we came with, not with words of human wisdom. In verse 18, he says, the message of the cross that we preach, <clears throat> it's foolishness to those <coughs> who are perishing. Um, in verse 19 of chapter 1, I will destroy the, the wisdom of the wise, God says. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. In verse 20, um, Paul speaks of the wisdom of the world. In verse 21, he speaks of the world through its wisdom. In verse 25, he speaks of man's wisdom. In verse uh, chapter 2, verse 6, he speaks of the wisdom of this age. And he, he says, our message is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, which are coming to nothing. And in verse 13 of chapter 2, which we didn't get to, he says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom. So you see the, the kind of phraseology of a, of a, of a worldview, a, a wisdom, a system of wisdom, of, of the way of seeing the world. And the speaker that I was listening to this week talked about three drivers, like a giant game of Jenga. Have you ever played Jenga? The, the wooden blocks that are um, fitted together and you, you pull out blocks carefully without collapsing the tower. And what this speaker was saying is, is, that, is that society and our culture at the moment is pulling out the foundational blocks of belief systems um, and, the stack, and, and the stack is getting very wobbly and actually collapsing in on itself. And, and the, three, the three drivers of that kind of secular um, wisdom of this world that Paul is writing about, that, that worldview, that, that way of seeing the world that we're seeing around us and in our culture is driven by individualism. So a sense that I, as an individual, have the right uh, to determine um, who I am and why I'm, I'm here and my existence. And, and previous generations were a lot more um, external and involved with institutions and affected by the wider society would help to identify us and help us to nurture our identity and to see who we are. But there is a, there is a, a strident and a, a strong sense of individualism that is not altogether healthy. And then the second drive is secularism, where um, we are becoming increasingly a, a secular society. We are, by statistics now, um, um, Christianity is in that sense in, in the minority. And secularism removes God and depends on human strength and naturalist causes and belief systems. And the third driver is postmodernism, which basically says that there is no objective truth. And you can choose your truth, and I'll choose my truth. And so um, we have the rise of um, 
toxic political systems with fake truth <laughs> and fake statements. And you hear spokespeople for uh, governments and for leaders, and you've seen this in America as well, of saying, well, that's your truth, <laughs> but that's not our truth. And so the removal of objective truth, the strident individualism and secularism mean that as we pull out the blocks of our lives and our culture, the, 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 the tower starts to topple. And you can see within our culture the, the culture toppling in within itself and groups fighting each other and, and it becoming increasingly difficult. Now what Paul said in his day was the Jews, the Jewish people amongst us, they're looking for signs of power. And the Greeks, they're looking for wisdom. They're looking, uh, the Greeks, you know, they debate, they philosophize, and they share ideas in the, in the marketplace. The Jews, they want something transcendent. They want a sense of God. They want, they want to see signs and power. And what Paul said then, he, he said, what, what we're offering, he said, we're offering Jesus Christ. And he is the wisdom of God. And he is the power of God. And, and elsewhere, when he writes the Colossians, what Paul says is that the whole power and the wisdom of God is invested in, is found in Jesus Christ. All of the wisdom of heaven and earth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so what Paul is arguing here in his, in his letter, he's saying people are looking for wisdom. They are. They're looking for wisdom. And they're looking for power. They're looking, people today, it's not different in our day, they're looking for a sense of how to make sense of the world. And they're looking for an ability to live well in the world and to live their lives. And people are struggling with both of those aspects and looking in all kinds of places for the wisdom and for the power that they lack. And, and Paul said, I'm not trying to match the Greeks with their rhetoric and I'm not trying to match the Jews with their desire for the transcendent or for the powerful or for signs and for wonders. But what I will do and what I am doing is that I'm going to preach Jesus Christ and I'm going to preach the fact that he was crucified and that is the power of God. It's all the power of God that people need and it's all the wisdom of God that people need. And it's still the case today and that is what we argue as a church, as a people of God that as we look on sometimes in consternation at the collapsing culture of our society and the removal of the foundational blocks, we go back to the fact that we are a Bible-based church and we are a Bible-believing people. And we believe that what God says about the view of the world and the creation of the world and the fall of mankind and the fact that you and I were made for a relationship with the living God is a view of the world that makes ultimate sense and holds everything together, and gives us a sense of purpose and beauty. In his book, N.T. Wright, the theologian, argues that the naturalist view of the world, the secularist view of the world, can never ever make sense of the echoes of God's voice that are found in society and culture. He said things like beauty. We can't make sense of beauty. Why beauty? Why a sense of beauty? What, what is beauty for? And he says it is an echo of God's voice. It is an echo of who God is, that God is beautiful, and everything he makes is beautiful, and everything that we see that is beautiful is an echo of God. And our sense and our desire for justice cannot be made sense of, argues N.T. Wright. 
in a naturalist, humanist view of the world, but we have ingrained in us a sense of what is right and wrong and a desire, a deep desire for justice. And that is an echo of God's voice. And there are many echoes of God's voice. And, and Paul speaks again of the wisdom that can be found in Jesus and in the Bible. I'm going to invite Mike forward now, Mike Smith. And I just wanted to ask him <coughs> to tell us a little bit of his story because he was someone, he was someone that was kind of looking for this wisdom. And uh, Mike, nice to see you. <laughs> Come forward. And um, thank you for, for being willing to speak. I know you didn't love the idea of looking at this lot, and um, <laughs> I understand. Um, but you were someone that, yeah, you were on a spiritual journey, and you were looking for kind of a sense of meaning in the world. T tell us what, what you were doing and, and how you were looking and what that looked like for you. So um, for, I would say, 38 years of my life, um, that um, I lived a very secular life, you know, um, and uh, things that were important to me were um, sort of money, um, you know, uh, clothes, um, work, you know, all, all, all these things. And um, I suppose about 10 years ago, you know, um, it doesn't really matter what, what happened, but, but something happened and it sort of made me question um, life, in, you know, not just my life, but you know, why, why was I here? Mm. And you, start, you started a bit of a journey and you, and you looked and read and yeah. so you didn't have a kind of a, there wasn't one moment in that sense. You, you were looking and searching and asking questions and, and where did you look? And so um, I love to read, so literature, that, that's, where, that's where I went. I, I spent a lot of time in Waterstones and, um, and uh, so I, I looked at, um, at Islam, Buddhism, um, new, a lot of new age stuff. There's a guy called um, Eckhart Tolle that I, that, that I looked at. Um, basically everything but Christianity. It, ju it just wasn't on my radar. I just thought um, that you're all a bunch of crusties and you know, I didn't really, um, I, I just, it just wasn't really on my radar. So, yeah. And then one day you were back at your favorite bookstore in Waterstones and, and what, what happened that day? And, how did that start a bit of a, a chain of events? <laughs> yeah, so um, the, the, the spiritual um, books were there and the religious religious section was next to it and, and I was looking at the, um, at the spiritual section and uh, I felt a tap on the sh uh, shoulder and uh, this guy gave me a book and said, this is the only spirituality you'll need. And he walked off and I haven't seen him since. Hmm. And, um, but the book was uh, anti-right, um, simply Christian. Right. And um, I start uh, that the first sort of like chapter of that, just what you spoke about. Um, he, he speaks about the this echo, and um, and immediately I, I, I it sort of hit, it sort of I connected with that because I knew there was something, you know, and um, and all the questions that I were, 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 was asking, nowhere had I um, read that. Um, this echo, it just really spoke to me. I, I felt, because I, I said, why? You know, why? Why? Yeah, why? I suppose that, that, that was why. And um, so that really started my journey. You mm. know, that, that, that sort of echoes of, um, of something, mm. you know, that was in me. Mm. That it really started to, to stir something. And at some point, you, you did become a Christian. You did 
enter into a relationship with God. Yeah, I, I did. I mean, I, I, what I started to do, um, because I'd read things like um, Christopher Hitchens and Dawkins, and, and what I started to do, there's a, a guy, some people might know him, John Lennox, he debated these guys, and, and um, there was just something about him, you know, um, just his, he, he had this peace about him, and no matter what these questions and uh, uh, were thrown at him, he, 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 he always had a, a sense of peace about him, and, and um, so he was a big part of, of, um, of my coming to know Jesus, um, but ultimately, um, I prayed, I said, Lord, if you're real, you know, will you show me, and, um, and he did, and all these Christians started popping into my life, um, our friend Pam knocked on our on our door. They were they were setting up a church, literally, um, a couple of hundred yards up up, up the road, and um, yeah, and, and you encountered Jesus. I certainly did. And yeah. and your relationship with the Bible of these years. Well, a- absolutely. You know, and, and I don't profess to um, understand everything. Um, I had a chat with um, Matt Timms down in Newquay. Mm. Uh, he runs a church down there. And um, and I and I voiced my concerns to him. You know, there's some stuff in there I just didn't. I thought was unbelievable. You mm. know, um, and he said, "Right, put all that to one side." He said, "Go to Jesus," mm. and um, and that, and that's what I did. And um, I don't understand everything that's in the Bible, um, but I'm starting to trust what it says is true more mm. and more. I'm, I'm on that journey. Um, I trust what God says is true. Mm. You know, I don't understand it all yet. Um, I don't think I probably ever will. Mm. But, um, but yes, yeah, so that, that's I find my, my wisdom now. That, that, you know, I, I read my Bible daily, and um, that's certainly um, where, where I. That's that's my go-to first thing in the morning mm. to, to set me up for the day. And some people have a kind of a a Damascus Road experience, an encounter with God. But yours has been. Different. It's been a searching after wisdom, and but there's some pivotal moments like the tap on the shoulder in yeah. Waterstones, and and kind of you're coming to know God and encountering God through the scriptures. So thank you so much, Mike. Okay. Thank you for no your problem. story. Thank you. So this wisdom and power that Paul speaks of, we believe is found in in the Bible and in, in the scriptures. And it's, it's found in a biblical world view. And I am challenged um, both at a, a corporate level as a church that we teach the Bible and we teach the scriptures, but at a private level that we read and engage with the Bible ourselves, that we are self-feeders. I want to show you a video now that uh, just highlights kind of the way we seek to do this at a church level, but also the importance of doing this at a, at a personal level, and just to remind ourselves of the riches of God's word. So we'll watch this video together now. We want to be a church that has strong biblical roots and that teaches the Bible faithfully, consistently, creatively, and in a culturally relevant way. We aim to do this through strong biblical preaching on a Sunday. We also provide midweek courses where people can grow in their Bible knowledge from Alpha and Foundations right through to more in-depth theology courses. We want to develop a curriculum for Christ-likeness across all age groups in the church. We have weekly groups for children and youth as well as our community groups for adults, all of which provide opportunities for us to learn, grow and apply the Bible to our everyday lives. Community groups are, are a great 
place to start. Uh, we want to be able to explore the Bible together and to apply it together because it's not just reading it, it's, it's applying it. And, and a good community group uh, uh, helps us to apply the Bible to our everyday life. On a Sunday morning when the children all leave, um, they come out to us, there's normally a bit of time for them to play and get to know one another, but then we will all meet together um, in each of our zones where we will focus on something from the Bible. At the heart of what we want is that they know who Jesus is and the only way they will know that is through the Bible. And so right from our blue zone, which is the youngest, every week we will open the Bible, we will read the Bible together, and we're encouraging families to do that as well so that they truly know who Jesus is and can have a relationship with him. Well, with Source on a Sunday, that's where we do our main Bible teaching. And, and what we do, we, we follow the same series as the church because we think it's really important to be able to talk as families about what we're studying together um, in the Bible. So for instance, we did the Revelation series all together and we did some memory verses with the young people, which was really great. The Bible's not held in esteem in our society and that's one of the reasons why we try to use every opportunity to be teaching from the Bible, whether that's at the youth community groups, on a Friday night as a, a thought for the evening. We want to take every opportunity for our young people to, to know the Bible, to understand the importance, the relevance of today and um, how we have to stand up and actually be countercultural sometimes. We really believe the Bible impacts people's lives, it changes people's lives, it transforms them. So we really want young people to be engaging with the, the Bible for themselves and we really want to help them to do that. Um, it's a way of getting to know God, it's a way of getting to know Jesus and it's so powerful. We're really passionate about every young person being able to engage with the Bible. We teach everybody should be a self-feeder and there's something absolutely wonderful about feeding yourself on the Word of God every day. It's like a seed, and when we receive the seed, it will, it will grow. Paul um, had a mentoring relationship with a young pastor, uh, the Apostle Paul, whose words we've been reading this morning, and his name was Timothy. And um, Paul would encourage him um, and as a leader and as a pastor of a church and he would write to him, and he wrote to him these words. Uh, he said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says to the young Timothy, he said, you know what you've been taught and who taught it you and that you were taught from being a child, uh, these holy scriptures. And these are not just words. These are words that are breathed by God. <laughs> and they will help you live life. They will teach you, they will rebuke you sometimes, they will correct you, and they'll train you so that you become fully equipped for every good work in your life. I think people are still looking for wisdom, and I think people are still looking for power and an ability to live life well, and I, I deeply and profoundly believe that the answers are found in the words of God, the very oracles of God. Now, some of 
our spiritual leaders, our church leaders, have challenged the fact that the church has moved away from or had a weak view of or an indifferent view to the Bible. And so I read some of these quotes a couple of weeks ago when we were talking from Acts 2, but Bill Hull says today's evangelical church has come to its anemic state primarily because of widespread ignorance of scriptural truth. Charles Swindle says it's no surprise that today's citizen is more biblically ignorant than people of virtually any other time since the dark ages. James Packer says, teaching not just for the correcting of current errors, but for the maturing of the faithful in themselves was at the heart of the early church life. And John Stott, who was an Anglican vicar, said, Jerome, the early church father, wrote that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Equally, we may say that knowledge of Scripture is knowledge of Christ. So it's so important, I think, that as a church that we teach the Bible, that we build our foundations on it through our children's work and our youth work and our small group networks and our Sunday teaching, that we read the Bible together, that we preach the Word together. And I also think it's really, really important that we read it for ourselves. And I do think that there was a generation past that it was their habit to read the Bible every day. And I think in current times, those habits are waning. And I think we need to challenge that and push back on that and encourage one another to re-engage with the truth of Scripture because it will change your life. (laughs) Because it represents Christ, who is the Word, the wisdom, the fullness of God. So I'm going to invite Matt and Liz up now. And Matt and Liz, they teach our foundations course at the church here, which is a three-week introduction to the Christian faith that follows on from our Alpha course. And they've, um, they've been teaching this class, and they've just taught it, and they're going to teach it again in a couple of weeks. So welcome, Matt and Liz, and um, grab yourselves a mic, great. So I would like you to uh, explain what the Foundations course is, and I'd like you to speak into um, how do we do this? How do we engage with the Bible at a practical level, both when we're listening to the preaching of the Word, but also on a personal day-to-day basis? If you two want to speak into that a little bit. Show us your props. <laughs> uh, so we run the Foundations course straight after Alpha, the Alpha course, and it's a three-week course. And um, as part of that, we give out a little booklet. When, and we're just going to show you a couple of the slides, uh, the uh, pages from that, to demonstrate the kind of thing we do. So we make it clear when we start the course that the course is for people um, who've decided to become a Christ follower. So it's not the Alpha course. It's not exploring does God exist, that kind of thing. Um, but it also assumes that you know nothing, so it's a really safe place to come. And, uh, yeah, it just assumes that you know nothing about the Bible, that you've never picked one up before. And this is kind of how we do it. So we start the course by looking at, at what is the Bible. And it's very practical. If we look at the next slide, um, we, we start by um, talking about different versions of the Bible, and we, we get people to hold a Bible in their hand and to and to actually find a couple of verses that we ask them to look for. So we, we even talk about uh, chapters and verses and what that looks like in a Bible and that the chapter's the bold bit and um, the verses, the little number. And um, we just pick a couple of verses. In fact, the one that Jeff just read then from 2 Timothy and another one from Hebrews about the word of God being lived and active. And uh, we ask people to um, look them up, but we look them up in different versions 
we talk about um, what different versions of the Bible, uh, what they are and how we might access them. So we get individuals to actually look it up. So we kind of do a practice one with people on how to read a Bible. And then we read the same verse in different versions to show. You just jump in when you want. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, so we also go into the uh, kind of fundamental truths as well, don't we? We talk about uh, the belief that we have as a church in the Bible. Um, obviously, we want, we want people to know that when they come here, they can trust what's preached from the front and uh, have confidence in, in, what's, in what's said from from the front here, that, that we are a, a Bible, a Bible-based, Bible-believing church. Um, and uh, and we, we try and explain the reasons why there are different translations and uh, kind of the, the roots of it, where it's come from. Yes, so as um, Matt said, we're part of Elim, and we talk about Elim and what Elim believes, that, and Malvin and Ruth help us do the course as well, so Malvin's really useful at this point, because I think Malvin was part of the team that um, put together the the fundamental truth, what does Elim believe? So when you come to this church, when you come to Foundations, what are you signing up for? And you can find those on our website, they're on our website, but we talk about it and we, we talk about what Elim says about the Bible. And it says, we believe the Bible is originally given to be without error, the fully inspired and infallible word of God and the supreme and final authority in all matters of faith and conduct. And we talk about what does fully inspired mean and we talk about what does infallible mean. So we give a really good grounding as to what, e what Elim believes, what the Bible says about the Bible, what we believe, that the Word of God is living and active, that it's useful for correcting, rebuking, and training. And then we talk about, practically, how do we do that? So, yeah, as Matt said, we talk about different versions. And then, if we um, go into the next slide, please, Dave. Uh, we, we talk about where you can get a Bible from. We talk about reading paper Bibles, uh, read, we... We know we can get them on the phone and on our iPads, and we do talk about that, but we talk about distraction and how to read it in a distraction-less way. So we do talk about paper Bibles. Every week, we have a couple of big tables. This is just a very small section. A couple of big tables of resources, and we encourage people to look through them. And on the resources table, we will have Bibles in different versions. We have all different levels of literature. So from a, a little daily read, where you might just read a thought for the day, to books that support your Bible reading, like an atlas there. We, do, we look at uh, Bible reading for different ages, if you've got children, or uh, we have some for men. I think one, once we had one that was for cat lovers, I think, just to show the variety of books that you can find out there. Um, so we encourage people to come <coughs> and look through them, take them home, ask questions. So this time we had people bringing resources back in and showing us, and it was really good and interactive. So we say to hear God's word, uh, we encourage you to read the actual Bible. You can listen to it on, online. We talk about listening to sermons online and how we're hearing the word of God through sermons. We encourage people to come to church. We know that a lot of people watch online. Last, the last course we did, everybody had been on Alpha. I think everybody had accessed the church service online, but we talked about coming in, in person, and we talk about listening on um, the radio. Yeah, fundamentally, um, what we're trying to um, encourage people to, to really get into is that you, you need to know where your foundation is. 
And you've got to understand, if you've got a building, that building has got something which is underground. And that underground part, if you like, in our life has to be the Bible. You know, that, that is the part that we are um, basing our life on. And we're, we're trying to encourage people to get into reading the Bible in that way. Yes, yeah, so, so once we've shown them resources, we talk them through practical ways. So this time we talked about Dave years ago, used to encourage us to read it really systematically. He had a system of bookmarks that we'd all have in, and we literally read through it systematically. We talk about reading it in different translations. We talk about perhaps underlining it, or these, you can get Bibles that you doodle in now. Um, we talk about and we show clear reading plans, and we encourage people to take notes as well as their reading. And then at another practical level, we, um, we talk about taking notes in sermons, and we actually give examples of how, how to, sorry, when I look at the screen, see if it's there, I can just see myself. Uh, so that one, we look at, um, we do a practice run of, of taking notes in the service, and we talk about why is that important. If the word of God is important, and if the preachers put a lot of work into it, then there's, there's um, validity in us writing it down. And when we take notes, it reinforces our learning, just the act of taking it. It, um, it helps us to remember when we come back during the week, perhaps during our quiet time, we might reflect back and look at what the sermon was about. So it, uh, we remember the sermon. And also, at a practical level, helps keep us focused. Slash awake in a sermon. Like, it really helps you to, to think and listen to what, to, to what you're hearing. So we talk about not only reading it for yourself, but interpreting how other people are reading and sharing the Bible with you and, take, and taking notes. I'm just, we're going to finish. We are going to finish. But I just want to talk about this. We, we do the stones in the jar, which I love the stones in the jar analogy. And I wanted to do it today, but I knew we wouldn't have time to do it. I love it so much, I have this mini version of it on my desk because I think it's such a powerful illustration. And the course that we do foundations is really practical. And we do this in a bigger version with a bigger sweet jar. And the moral of this story is, if you take all the stones out, you can only put them in the jar if you put the big stones in first and then the medium and then you put the sand in. If you take it out and you put the sand in first and the medium stones and the big one, it just doesn't fit. So what we talk about when we talk about reading the Bible is our priorities. So we talk about it from a spiritual point of view, but you can talk about, you know, it can work relationally or in a work context. We have to be intentional. If we want to read the Bible and understand it and know God better through it, then we need to set time aside. We need to put that as a big stone. We have to put the big stones in first. In, in, in foundations, we're talking about prayer and we're talking about fellowship and we talk about Bible reading. And we say those are all big stones. And it's so important for us as Christians to get the big stones in first. Because if we don't, then we are in danger of filling our life up with sand. And at a practical level, we talk about, you know, in the morning, if you intend to read your Bible and you have it on your phone, there is a danger that you could start putting sand in your jar as you start looking at Facebook or text messages or emails. And the challenge we put out of foundations is perhaps consider a paper Bible or a paper Bible uh, reading plan. Remove those distractions. Remove the sand. We're not saying the sand isn't important, but we're saying that if you want to put everything in your jar, if you want to be really intentional about your Bible reading, knowing God better, then we need to plan and be intentional around not being distracted. That's great. Uh, thanks, Matt and Liz. And, and 
Yeah, so the next, the next um, Foundations course follows directly after Alpha, doesn't it? So we've got an Alpha course which starts on Wednesday this week, which is a foundational course, and we'll look at the Bible with you. And then after that, we've got a three-week course called Foundations, which, as Matt and Liz have said, will very practically help you engage with the Bible, give you some reading material, point you in the right direction website-wise, how to listen on a Sunday, and all of that. So that's really helpful. Thank you, Matt and Liz. Thank you. So we can, we can make those um, resources available to you as well on our website so that if, if you want some practical help, um, we'll, we'll give you that. I'm going to start to wrap up now. Um, I, I wanted to just read to you um, the story of Scott McKnight's engagement with the Bible. When, he, when I was in high school, I went to a Christian camp in Iowa and uh, with Chris, my girlfriend, now my wife, um, to mess around for a week. But one morning, we were asked by our cabin leader to go spend a little time in prayer before breakfast. And so I wandered out of our cabin down a hill alongside a basketball court and through an open field. And then I walked over to the campfire area. I climbed a short incline, and finally I sat next to a tree, and I prayed what the cabin leader told us to pray. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I wasn't particularly open to spiritual things. But for some reason, I said that prayer as our counselor advised. And, and the Lord to whom I prayed that prayer caught me off guard. And to quote the words of John Wesley, my heart was strangely warmed. I don't remember what I expected to happen, probably nothing. But what happened was surprising. That prayer, or I should say the answer to that prayer, changed my life. I didn't speak in tongues, I didn't see Jesus, and I didn't hear God. My eyes didn't twitter, and I didn't become catatonic. When I prayed, something powerful happened, and I went to breakfast a new person. Within hours, I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. <coughs> On that hot summer day, I unexpectedly became a Bible student with a voracious appetite to read. Prior to the prayer, I had very little interest in the Bible. And when it came to routine reading, I read only what my teachers assigned me and sports illustrated. Within a week or two, I began to read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation, four chapters a day. I finished my reading the next spring, getting ahead of schedule because there were too many days when four chapters were not enough. And my habit at the time was to arise early to read at least two chapters before going off to school and then to read two chapters at night before I went to bed. I read the Schofield King James Bible and Paul's letter to the Galatians became my favorite book. The Bible was full of surprises for me and my eyes, mind and heart were stuck in wide open wonder. All because I asked God's spirit to fill me. And as we um, focus this morning on uh, the Bible, and being a Bible-based church, um, what Paul says when he writes about this, he says, he said, I'd, I didn't try and be wise in human terms. I didn't come with clever words. I didn't preach smart sermons. 
But what I did, I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I did that through and in and with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. And we as Pentecostal believers, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the truth of God's word. And we believe when you marry those two together, the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, and those two come together in kind of a chemical reaction, is creates in us life and health and wholeness. And it's not a dry, you must read your Bible more to be a good Christian. Could not be less interested in that as a topic. (laughs) You must get up and read your Bible in the morning if you're going to be a good Christian. But if you, like Scott McKnight, say, Holy Spirit, (laughs) please will you fill me. (laughs) Please will you fill me with a desire for your word and for the things of God. And if you come to the scriptures with a sense of in this book is a revelation of the living God. And this book, as it says of itself, is alive and it is active and it is powerful and it can divide and work out my feelings and my emotions and it can speak into my life. If I come and I say like the prophet Samuel, the young boy, speak Lord for your servant is listening. If I kneel, if I open this book in the morning over a cup of coffee, if I listen to it online and podcasts, if I engage with it, and I believe as it's combined with the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, it will change me and it will transform me and it will equip me for every good work in Christ Jesus. And I think it is so important that we are a Bible-based church. We will endeavor constantly to speak God's word creatively and to speak it intentionally and to preach counterculturally and not to build on a system of beliefs that quite frankly are collapsing in on themselves. But we will preach God's word, God's whole word, the whole counsel of God. And our job as a church is to listen attentively, is to take notes, is to come with open Bible, is to see it as this is the holy word of God and to see that God is speaking to me. Yeah, maybe to get in a small group and to apply it. How do I live this out? Maybe to tap into some of the resources that are available to you to start to engage with God's word. Statistics say that about 35% of evangelical Christians read their Bible every day, which means, and I'm not very good at maths, but it means about 65% of us don't. (laughs) And um, if we learn anything this morning... It is, again, to continue, like Paul said, continue to do the things that you used to do. Timothy, continue in the teaching of scriptures that you were taught as a child. Come back to them. Open your Bible again. Re-engage with scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and engage with and encounter God in a fresh way. If you're here this morning and you're not even a Christian and much of what has been said or done today perhaps has gone over your head or it's not where you're at, I would encourage you to take this Bible and to read it and to engage with it, to read the Gospel of John and to ask God, like Mike did, if you are real, if you exist, speak to me through this book. There was a barrister, his name was Nicky Gumbel, and uh, he was uh, a a Cambridge-educated law student and barrister, And when he was at Cambridge, he saw that a lot of his friends were becoming Christians. And he said, I never, ever wanted to become a Christian because like Mike 
I think the word he used, which is not one I'm familiar with, with they're a bunch of crusties. Um, but um, the, Nicky Gumbel thought, these, these Christians, it's not for me. Um, but what he did say is that as a barrister, he started to just open the Bible and he started to read it. And he started to get a hunger for it. And as he read it and read it and read it, he encountered Jesus Christ. And as he encountered Jesus Christ, his life was transformed. And uh, he came to faith in God. So wherever you are on the pendulum or the journey of faith, I encourage you to engage with the Holy Scriptures. Wisdom and power, that's what Paul is speaking of in this book. And he says, do you need wisdom? Do you need power? Christ sent me, he says, to preach the gospel, not with human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. I'm going to pray for you this morning. And I'm going to pray the same prayer that Scott McKnight prayed. um, That the Holy Spirit would come and give us such a hunger and a thirst for his word. So that we would be people that are transformed into the likeness of his son. In our faith in Jesus Christ. Christ, the wisdom of God. In Christ, the power of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures that are given to us to instruct us and to make us wise for salvation. And we thank you, God, for the fact that they are breathed by you, useful to us for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And Father, for those of us who perhaps, perhaps left our Bibles on the shelves or never engaged with the written word of God, that there might rise within us this morning a hunger and a thirsting to hear what God is saying through these scriptures. And I pray, come Holy Spirit, and fill us like you filled Scott McKnight on that day and gave him a voracious appetite for the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that as you come and fill us by your Holy Spirit, we would have such a desire to encounter Jesus through the word. And I pray, Lord, that there would rise within each and every one of us a thirst and a hungering after these things of God. And whether we come and we listen on a Sunday or whether we listen to the Bible read to us in the week or podcasts or whether we read it for ourselves and we are self-feeders, I pray that, Lord, this marriage of word and spirit would come and change us. I thank you, Lord, that it's no different in our day than it was in Paul's day. People are still looking for wisdom, and they're still looking for power and strength to live life. And I thank you, God, that ultimately those are found in you, in Jesus Christ. So help us to be Jesus-centered people, Bible-based, people that follow you, and your teachings in Jesus' name. Amen.